Time. I hope you guys are all doing good. Uh, hey, two summers ago, me and Sam uh, were in uh, uh, Brooklyn for a wedding, right? Uh, so that has nothing to do with Christmas, but uh, there's a point that we were in Brooklyn for a wedding, and uh, a, br- a wedding in Brooklyn means two things. One, that there's going to be no parking, and two, um, it's going to be really trendy. So we, we get to the building, and it's this warehouse that they turn into a wedding hall. So uh, I can't lie, I was pretty impressed because it's like a big magic trick to turn a big empty warehouse into a wedding venue. And uh, a cool thing that the couple did was uh, they, they had food trucks brought in for the main meal. It's a, a very Brooklyn thing. All right, So I don't know if you guys have ever eaten out of a food truck, uh, but I just had, to me, when, when food comes out of a truck, it just has a really good taste, whether it's on the side of a road or at a wedding hall. Uh, and so they had a food truck. So for dinner, they would dismiss every table, and we would go up, and you could do one or other or both. Um, Because I like to eat, I got food from both of them. Uh, And they had an Asian one, and they had a Mexican one. So I go to the Mexican one first, and I get uh, some tacos. And as I go to the Asian line, I I eat my tacos as I'm waiting for my pad thai. So I go, uh, I sit down, I'm eating the pad thai and everything, and I I thought that I bite into something crunchy. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And, uh, you know, I'm looking around and I realize my wife, Sam, she has the pad thai, but hers distinctly has peanuts in it. Uh, I'm allergic to peanuts. So at that moment, I'm like, those, those, are, those are peanuts. So the, the itchy throat is starting to come, starting to feel a little nauseous. I'm probably uh, reacting uh, a little more you know, uh, extreme than I had to be. I'm like, Sam, Sam, <laughs> I'm drinking down her water, the, my neighbor's water, uh, and, and I, I just started panicking uh, because I was shocked. And I don't know if that has ever happened to you guys where you're eating something and you realize you're allergic to it, or you're eating something, uh, let's say, I don't know, chicken or something, and someone's like, oh, you know, that was the chicken's heart, and you're like, well, mm, yeah, thanks, just got to put my fork down. Uh, we, we, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't like surprises. That, that's just not my style. Uh, I like to know the facts. I like to know what I'm going into. I like to know what I'm eating. Um, so I just want to ask you guys, um, by a show of hands, if you're someone that likes surprises, assuming you're not allergic to it, who in here would say, that's me? I love being surprised. All right, about like 10 of us. Now, if, you, if you're the other, uh, other side of that, if you don't like being surprised, uh, can I see your hand? Oh, see, that's like me. I am with you. I am with you. Uh, and, and listen, I was in the city the other day for my wife's birthday, and uh, what's interesting is that this time of year, uh, the Christmas lights, the music, the, the Rockefeller Center tree, uh, this unity of spirit that, that all New Yorkers are kind of uh, sharing in this moment, I couldn't help but shake this feeling that, similar to that Pad Thai experience, uh, I think a lot of us have a general sense of what's happening that we can all probably agree on the importance of joy and love and and even the idea of this baby being born. But I think sometimes uh, there could be something else to it, that there could be some underlying messages. There could be a hidden meaning. There could be something that's right below the surface that that we're actually missing. And I think both uh, church people and unchurched people can uh, miss some of those hidden meanings uh, year after year. But if there is a hidden meaning in Christmas, what is it? What, what exactly is uh, this hidden meaning? And uh, that's what I kind of want to explore it with you guys today. So uh, I want to take a few minutes to kind of explore what that first Christmas looked like, looked like and uh, what it meant then and, and what it means for us today. 
because I do believe this, that if we tune in and if we open our hearts to uh, what that first Christmas is about, then it can have major implications on our lives today. Um, So it should be on the screen or if there's a Bible around you or your smartphone, whatever you want to use. We're going to be in the book of Matthew and we're going to start in verse uh, 18. Sorry, chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to go to verse 25. All right, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And this is what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be uh, with child from Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her Quietly. So let's just stop and talk about uh, betrothal for a minute. In, in ancient Near Eastern culture, a young man and his fiance would get uh, legally married, um, for lack of a better word. Um, they, they, they weren't allowed to live together, but for all other intensive purposes, they were married. Um, and the reason that they, they kind of went through this year process of being betrothed is because uh, the, the, the parents of the groom wanted to make sure that the girl he was marrying was pure, right? So for a year, they couldn't have sex or anything. And in a year, it'd be pretty clear if she was pregnant or or any of those other things. And so, you know, they would pay this huge bride price to the bride's family. uh, And then after a year, everything was clear. You know, she's pure, we're good. And then they could sleep together and be fruitful and multiply all that good stuff. Uh, But in every other way, during this year engagement, during this year betrothal period, they were considered to be husband and wife. To get out of the betrothal period, uh, they would have to officially and legally get divorced. Uh, so in any other, every other way, uh, they're married. They're just not living together, and uh, they're not making babies. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from his sleep, he took the angel of the Lord. He, took, uh, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I don't know if, if many of us kind of grasp the, the, the weight of this story. I mean, this is the, how Jesus is introduced into the world, Right? Like, have you ever just stopped and thought, like, why this introduction? Jesus, the Son of God, God becoming flesh, was introduced into the world in this way? Like, Mary is a teenage girl engaged to be married to her her husband, Joseph. So for her to just one day appear pregnant meant one of two things. One, that she either uh, cheated on Joseph, which is terrible, or that her and Joseph had sex before the actual wedding day, which is also terrible. And for Joseph to proceed to uh, have the wedding and, and get married to her was like a public statement of him saying, this child is mine. Right To everyone else, they're kind of assuming, like, well, the child must be his if he's actually getting married to her. So both of their reputations are shattered forever, forever. And the angel doesn't host a town hall. He's not like, hey, by the way, guys, this is what's happening. Jesus is coming. Uh, he just explains it to them. There's no newsletter. There's no bulletin. There's, there's no one else to, to sympathize or understand uh, uh, what's happening. It's just 
those two with a word from the Lord? And is that enough to uh, keep them going? And, and this is the thing. Mary never gets the storybook wedding that most girls growing up uh, hope for, right? She doesn't have that uh, moment of walking down an aisle with her dad, of being surrounded with friends and family, of her celebrating a day that she would never forget. And I think it's easy for us to assume because this was 2,000 years ago that she was vastly different than us, but that's not necessarily the case, right? They had weddings, they celebrated. This is a big moment, and her day was taken away and ruined, in a sense, not by dress malfunctions, not by food poisoning, not by crazy in-laws, but it was ruined by Jesus himself. And, and as I'm reading this, I, I can't help but think, like, God, you, you couldn't have done it any other way. Like, like, it couldn't have been introduced a, a, a little easier, uh, not as messy. I mean, we're talking about Jesus. I would expect him to, sent, to descend from heaven onto the top of a castle, being born into some royal, awesome family, and, I don't know, some, something cool. Um, but that's not what happens. Jesus is born into poverty. He's brought into dysfunction. He's uh, brought into despair and confusion and like, is, is this really the story of uh, Christmas? It is. And this is the thing. Uh, Christmas is about a Savior being born. Uh, but I also think that the Holy Spirit was laying out some implications of what it would look like for us to follow Jesus uh, today. And so if we adopt this message of Christmas, like, take time to really dwell on it and to think about it and to wrestle with it, I believe that it has major implications on our lives today. So, after reading our text in Matthew, it's clear that Jesus' coming into this world would drastically change the lives of Mary and Joseph forever. And I also think that it's going to drastically change ours. Uh, so I think there's three ways that Jesus' coming affects our lives. And uh, it's this. One, it affects our plans. It affects our preferences. And it affects our willingness to embrace inconvenience. So number one, it affects our plans. You know, when you picture Joseph's life, you imagine that Mary announcing her surprise pregnancy wasn't a part of his plan, right? I mean, I wonder what that first conversation was like. I wonder that uh, it was painful. I imagine that it stung. I imagine that it was pretty difficult. I mean, this is the woman he's engaged to be married to. He's saving himself for the big wedding day, and one day she just appears, and it's like, I'm pregnant. So Joseph goes from being a happily engaged man to now being a guy that's trying to figure out divorce. I'm sure that was really painful. And what's interesting about this is that the text says that he's a righteous man. He's faithful to the law, and he plans to divorce her quietly. So what does this mean? This basically means that he's a good and godly man trying to do the right but difficult thing. He's not trying to expose her. He's not trying to get even. Uh, he's not trying to uh, make her sins known publicly to the community. Uh, I, I think Joseph is just trying uh, to close this chapter of his life quietly and just move on. And uh, because Joseph seems like such a stellar guy, I think that's what makes reading this difficult. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think uh, this would not be my natural response. I, I, maybe I'm alone, but uh, my natural tendency is to not respond to crazy news like this with mercy and grace and love. It's to react, or it's to get even, or it's to, you know, want to fight back and, and argue and all of these different things. I remember I was in high, when I was in high school, I worked at Wawa, 
If you don't know what Wawa is, it's a magical gas station that serves delicious food, all right? Wawa is the place where dreams come true. Uh, I worked at Wawa throughout high school and during my first year of college, and I worked cash register. So if you have any experience working cash register, it can be pretty terrible. Um, I, I dealt with some nasty customers, and cash ears would say, we're trained to say simple things like, hi, how are you? Did you find everything okay? And that's my, you know, spiel for eight hours. And uh, sometimes you, I would say that to certain individuals and they would just totally ignore me. I'd be like, hi, how you doing, sir? And they'd be like, give me a pack of Marble Reds. Or I'm like, hey, how you doing? They're like, 15 on pump 10, drop the money and walk out. Uh, or sometimes I would ask them, hey, how you doing? And they would just look at me and just wait for me to give them their change. And they just want to get out of that that moment. And and so it started to kind of create this hardness in me. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get even to all the the nasty, mean gas station people that come in my line. So I would uh, assume if someone was going to come and like give me a hard time, I would wait for them to speak first. And if they didn't, I just wouldn't say anything. And if they did, uh, I would like keep the conversation short and I would just do my job with no extra flair or charisma charisma or emotion. It was just me trying to uh, do the most plain level job I could. And in my mind, that was me getting even with uh, these crazy gas station people. And listen, it sounds silly looking back on it, uh, but that was me getting even. And the point is, like, we grow up believing this. Like, we grow up that, you know, we hurt people that hurt us. We grow up believing that we have to give people what they deserve. We grow up believing that uh, uh, getting even is, is my right. And Joseph doesn't do any of that. He doesn't respond out of emotion. He doesn't respond out of this vengeful spirit. So it's interesting that even when Joseph's life's plans are falling apart, his character remains intact. So, I, I, I want to ask you guys like a rhetorical question, but how, how do you generally respond when your life plans don't uh, work out the way you intend them to? When that relationship didn't work out, when an investment didn't work out, when a career didn't work out, uh, if your kids or grandkids don't do the things you want them to do, uh, when certain goals you made for 2019 were made, but, but they just never were met, how, how, how do we respond My assumption is we respond with disappointment, with frustration, maybe with anger. And listen, these are normal uh, uh, things. We don't like things to not go our way. But but this is uh, a terrifying and both liberating truth I want to share with you today, that uh, if you adopt the message of Christmas, you are guaranteeing that not all of your plans will go your way in your life. And maybe you're like, how how is that at all liberating? That that sounds terrible. Uh, Well, this this is the thing. It's liberating because when we say yes to following Jesus, we're saying yes to entrusting our lives to the Father's care, right? Like Matthew 6.26 says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Like God sees us with value, and he is committed to our highest good and his ultimate glory. That means not every circumstance in life will be easy. Not every circumstance in life will go the way that we wanted it to go, but I can guarantee that no circumstance will be wasted. Right? I, I can guarantee that because God is committed to us. And because he's so committed to us, we can give him our plans. We can give him our, our, uh, our, 
a perfect life. We can give him our dreams. We can give him all of that stuff and trust that, man, he's going to manage that in the way that is good for us, and that's ultimately going to bring him glory. So it's okay to have dreams. It's okay to have plans. When, but when things don't go your way, which is maybe often for some of you guys, I'm not sure, uh, I encourage you to remember Christmas. Because I think the way to remind ourselves that God is still for us is to think about uh, God coming into this world as a baby to be with us shows us how committed he is to us. So even in the moment, if my situation is not working out, if my family situation is messed up, God showed us how committed he is to us by coming into the world as a baby. So our plans will change. God will redirect. And sometimes we may not understand a thing that's happening in our lives, like Joseph, I'm sure, and Mary in the beginning. But I encourage you to remind yourself that through it all, God is committed to my highest good and his ultimate glory, and that this is not for nothing. All right? So number one, Jesus' coming affects our plans. And number two, Jesus' coming affects our preferences. You see, this must have all been very confusing for for Joseph because, as it turns out, Mary wasn't lying. Because the angel comes to Joseph in a dream and and tells him, uh, you know, who this baby is, uh, that Mary wasn't lying, that he needs to go and and marry this woman, and he's going to name this kid Jesus. And the reason... This is significant is because uh, in this culture, naming a child was a father's ultimate right, right? Uh, Naming a child was a father's right. He had complete right over his children, and naming his kid was a sign of control over that family. But when the angel comes and says, you're going to name this kid Jesus, the angel's taking away that right from Joseph. So that's basically saying that if Jesus comes into our lives, we're not going to manage him. He's going to manage us, right? So, so Jesus was this, this cute, innocent little baby, but he's a son of God, right? He is not something to be managed. He's our manager, and, and that, that's, that's huge. And then later, in verse 25, the text says, Joseph didn't know Mary or have sex with her until, they, until after the birth of Jesus. So not only did he wait a year in betrothal, he also waited another year. So this is crazy because this means that following Jesus calls us to deny certain things that we may otherwise enjoy. I know we all have something we call rights. Uh, We may have a right to name our child whatever we want. We have a right to choose where we live, a right to have a good-paying job, or a right to do whatever it is what we want to do with our lives. But what the angel was saying to Joseph, I think uh, he's saying to us, and that's this, if Jesus comes into your life, you are committing to giving up some of your rights, giving up some of your preferences, giving up control. And listen, I know this doesn't sound invigorating, uh, but I believe this, that God calls us to give up things that we were never meant to live for in the first place. You know, our, our view of a good life is skewed. Our desires don't ultimately satisfy us. Things we hope in let us down all the time. Our dreams go often unmet and unfulfilled. And so much of life is this constant pursuit of chasing after things we think will give us meaning and value and purpose, but oftentimes they never do. And we tell ourselves, like, if I could just attain that one thing, I would be at peace. Like, I would be good. And listen, I'm not saying it's bad to pursue things. It's not bad to have preferences and desires. But when those things become our ultimate thing, 
Like, this is the thing I, I live for, whether it's career, money, uh, politics, w- whatever is that ultimate thing. It can become a dangerous driving force in our lives where if we don't have it, we, we're not at peace. I remember growing up, um, I really wanted to go to NYU in another life. Uh, I wanted to pursue music production. Um, those days are long gone. But I was convinced that this school was the school that was going to be my gateway into getting a record deal or to something crazy like that. Uh, and so I w- my heart was set on it. Uh, I, I worked really hard on the application. It took, took weeks to, to finish. Um, there was essay parts. There was music parts. There were video parts. And with a school like that, you know, or with any school, you turn everything in and then you wait. And I remember uh, when the, 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 the morning that the email went out, I woke up super early at like 5 o'clock in the morning as a high schooler, and I'm like looking at this email, and, and the first line I, I read says, we're sorry to inform you. And at that moment, I'm like, it's over. I, I, was, I was crushed. And every time I would meet someone that went to NYU or got in, like, like a part of me would die inside. Um, it, it, it was just pretty sad um, because I'm like, here we are, that I didn't get into my dream school and, and this person did. H- how is this fair? What am I going to do? I, I'm gonna, I, my life is, I have no meaning. And it, it's funny how, how things turned out because I ended up going to Valley Forge, which is a Christian college. Uh, I ended up studying to be a pastor, ended up in Long Island. So life is full of these little ironies. Uh, but in the moment, I was crushed because that, that thing, this idea that I needed the school to give me value and security in my sense of uh, uh, where I'm going in life was, was taken away. And I was like, I don't know what to do. You know, early church father put it this way. He says, you have made us for yourselves, O Lord. And until our heart is rest, uh, until, and our heart is restless, I'm sorry, until it rests in you. You know, if I were to guess, some people in this room are restless. Maybe you have fear or anxiety or things that just are bogging you down because of whatever is happening in your personal life. Uh, Maybe you lack peace. Maybe you're wondering why. Is it because this world is crazy and divided? Is it because of family things? Is it because the next election is coming up? Is it because people don't treat you right? Is it, is it because things just haven't gone your way? I would say it could be, but I also think that it's something deeper. You see, I believe that our desire for control in our lives and for the lives of those around us can be a stumbling block for us. You see, it all hinges on preferences because as long as my preference is the main thing that drives me in life, I can never be at peace because my preferences are always going to be unmet. And as long as I put my preferences on other people, I'm double being unmet uh, because it, it just life doesn't work like that. We, we can't find rest as long as my life is dependent upon my preferences. You see, the greatest stumbling block to following Jesus is not something outside in the world, you know, in your home, uh, in your life. The greatest stumbling block to following after Jesus is you and me. We stand in the way of pursuing Christ passionately and clearly and, and devotedly. I mean, listen to Luke 9.23. Uh, Jesus says this, if, you, if anyone wants you, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. We must give up our own way. We, we have to stop saying, I would follow Jesus if. I would trust Jesus if. I would love Jesus if. I would obey Jesus 
if, because to become a Christian, we have to do something that is absolutely crazy to the outside world around us, and that's deny ourselves. We have to deny ourselves. We have to commit to denying our preferences. We have to uh, uh, commit to stop putting ourselves in front of God. Why, why do we deny ourselves? This doesn't sound fun. We deny ourselves because we often don't want the things that Christ wants naturally. Our, our natural desires are, are usually not in line with Jesus. And, and so we're motivated oftentimes to do things that serve and please us and, and our agenda, uh, whether, you know, clearly or hidden. And we're not usually motivated to do things that serve people and please God. Like, if we're just being honest, that's, we, we're not there. Uh, so this is this daily practice of denying myself. So let's get practical. Where may self-denial start with some of us in this room? Maybe you get a raise at work, uh, you're around Christmas, and your immediate thought is all the extra things that you could buy. Maybe self-denial starts with you just saying, like, God, are there needs that I could actually use to, to uh, meet with this money? Just just thinking about that, just, just praying about it. Maybe... Uh, Self-denial starts with you getting up in the morning and saying, no one owes me anything. Like, it doesn't matter how people treat me. Like, I, like people treating me right, that's not my right. I'm not owed anything. Maybe self-denial starts with how you talk about people you don't like. Maybe self-denial starts with you not expecting your boss to notice you and just doing a great job because you're created to do a great job. Maybe self-denial starts with you asking if my current attitude, action, or thought can be found in Jesus. Because if it can't, it shouldn't be found in us. Maybe self-denial starts with you get into a heated political conversation with someone that thinks differently than you, and maybe it starts with listening without building up an opposing argument before they even say a word, which is hard right? Self-denial is not easy. That's the point. But what our hearts need is not for the world to go our way. That, that, the world going our way will not bring satisfaction to our hearts. What our hearts need is transformation. What our hearts need is to find rest in Jesus. And we need courage to take our hands off of our lives and trust that God can lead us better than we can. It takes courage because it's hard. We don't like to trust people, and we definitely don't like to trust God because we think we know what's best, but I'm telling you, you won't find rest, you won't find peace, uh, and Jesus will totally disrupt our preferences. So Jesus affects our plans, his coming affects our preferences, and lastly, Jesus' coming affects our willingness to embrace inconvenience. I want to invite the worship team back up, uh, but... I hope at this point you're starting to see how inconvenienced Jesus' coming uh, made Joseph and, and, and Mary's life. Joseph's friendships changed. His family dynamic changed. And later on, he would have to flee to another country because uh, Jesus was, was uh, basically putting a target on their back. Everything changed for them. And I, and I think there's a lesson for us here that following Jesus is rarely convenient. Jesus disrupts our plans, our preferences, our timelines, and he often leads us to places and situations that we never thought we would end up in. I never thought I'd end up in Long Island. That's that's for sure. And listen, I think we live in a culture that says inconvenience is the enemy. Like, we we don't want to go out of our way for anything because we assume if I'm inconvenienced, that stops me from doing what I want to do. Uh, And there's a problem when that infiltrates the church uh, because there are multiple... Uh, dangers 
that will ensure if we are not willing to be inconvenienced as the body of Christ. Uh, For example, volunteering would become extinguished. Like volunteering is hardly ever convenient. You know, getting up on a Sunday morning, serving on a Wednesday night, on a Tuesday night, Monday night, whatever night or morning it is, there's always other things you could be doing. There's always more work to be done. There's always more family time to be spent. There's always uh, more you time to have, whatever you do to recharge. Like volunteering is never convenient. We don't do it because it's convenient. We do it because we love people and we love God and there are needs to be met. Number two, missionaries would never be sent. I have a friend, his name is Craig, and he uh, is from Texas, him and his family, and he moved to New York uh, to start uh, a campus ministry at Queens College. And uh, I can tell you, he didn't move to New York because it was convenient. He moved to New York because he saw a need, and he saw hundreds of different people and people groups at the campus of Queens, and there's an opportunity to spread the gospel to multiple nations. He didn't do it because it was convenient. Number three, needs in the community would never be met. I mean, I look at Long Island, and I think about things like Long Island youth mentoring. I I think about homelessness. I think about adoption. I, I just think about practical needs in our community, and if we are never willing to be inconvenienced, they'll never be met, ever. Number four, people would not come to learn about Jesus. This is a tough one, but the reality is building intentional relationships with strangers or coworkers is not convenient. Inviting people into your home, taking time to listen to them, to hear their story, to pray with them, pray for them, like that is not convenient. It means doing something that disrupts your normal routine for the sake of the one that doesn't know Jesus in your sphere. It's not convenient. And, and five, having tough conversations would never be had. You know, when you get into matters of things like race and sexuality and, and all these different topics, those, those aren't convenient conversations, right? Hot topic issues, but they need to be addressed. They have to be talked about in, in some sort of way. We, we have to be able to say, like, man, well, like, what, what is God's intention for this world? What is God's intention for my life? How can I be a peacemaker, a, a, a reconciliator, but also someone that speaks truth? Those are not easy, uh, convenient conversations to have. So, so my question for you is, do you have a ministry that's inconvenient? Do you have an area in your life where you say, man, I, I, this cost me something. I have to give up this thing or, or this day, but this person or this item or this agenda is worth it. But it's not convenient. And, and if you don't, I encourage you, get one. Uh, we have a lot of areas that uh, people could step up in and, and help. Uh, but really, like, man, that's what the body is for, to help each other serve one another for the glory of God, for the good of this community. So this is the thing. The true meaning of Christmas is that if Jesus is introduced into your life, like if he's really been introduced into your life, everything will change. Your plans, your preferences, your willingness to embrace inconvenience because we're no longer calling the shots. We're we're saying life isn't about me anymore. I'm I'm loosening the grip on what's been considered normal for so many years, and I'm trusting God to lead me into a new normal. So where do we find the strength to do all of these things? I think we find it in a remarkable name, and that's Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
You see, the quote found in verse 23 uh, about a virgin conceiving a son is from Isaiah 7.14. And it's this idea of uh, Isaiah is talking about a virgin conception and a birth that would be given to the house of David. Uh, but the baby born in Isaiah chapter 8 is not the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. We know this because when we get to Isaiah 9 verse 6, Isaiah says again, or he says, For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah's prophecy was partially fulfilled in his day, but it was pointing to a more glorious, a more beautiful, a more powerful prophecy to be fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. The most foundational doctrine to Christianity is that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He was born a human, so he was fully human, but he was virgin born. And Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, so he was fully God. And and why why do these things matter? Well, he was born as a man because he had to be a human to be our true representative. He lived the life we are supposed to live. He passed every test we failed, did everything uh, we failed to do. And uh, he died the death we were condemned to die. So he took our place on the cross as our representative. And he only could do that if he was fully man. But he was also fully God for two reasons. One, only one being is capable to save like this, and that's God. But then two, the whole point of God creating us was to have relationship with us. We weren't created to serve this distant God that just stands over us like a judge. We were created to love a father and walk with him like a friend. I think what gave Joseph the strength to do all of these crazy, inconvenient things was he saw this remarkable name, Emmanuel. He saw God as Jesus and Emmanuel. Like, let that sink in. The name Jesus means God saves. The name Emmanuel means God with us. So this is saying the God who saves is with us. The God who saves is with us. This is a remarkable truth. The God of the universe became a baby, soft and innocent, vulnerable to to getting sick and and all, all of those things. He became a baby to save us. He grew up poor. He was out of the public scene for 30 years, and he started to announce a kingdom that was like something no one has ever seen. And and I wonder sometimes, like, there's this constant theme throughout Scripture where it seems as though God is always for the underdog. And uh, is is that true? And I read a quote in a book by Tim Keller. Uh, He has a book called Hidden Christmas, and this is what he says. Is God, is it just that God likes underdogs? No. He's telling us something about salvation itself. Every other religion and moral philosophy tells you to summon up all your strength and live as you ought. Therefore, they appeal to the strong, to the people who can pull it together, the people who can summon up the blood. Only Jesus says, I have come for the weak. I have come for those who admit they are weak. I will save them not by what they do, but through what I do. Throughout Jesus' life, the apostles and the disciples kept saying to him, Jesus, when are you going to take power and save the world? And Jesus keeps saying, you don't understand. I'm going to lose all of my power and die to save the world. 
So the essence of Christmas is that our fellowship with God can be restored. Our sins can be forgiven. Our lives can be completely made new and transformed. God is restoring this world, and he invites us to be a part of that process. But if we adopt this message, it's not something we're indifferent to. Every time someone in Scripture encountered Jesus, they, weren't, they didn't shrug their shoulders and say, oh, that's cool. They're either terrified by it and they, they worshipped him or they rejected him and wanted nothing to do with him. But there was no indifference to it. And so if we adopt this message and if we worship uh, this risen king, that means that our lives don't belong to us anymore. It means that God will definitely change our plans. He will interrupt our preferences. He will call us to be inconvenienced, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. I just have one last question, and it's this. What would have happened if Joseph hadn't chosen this route? If he'd chosen to divorce Mary, if he'd chosen to marry another person, uh, have a neat carpentry business, but, but avoid all of this, this messiness of Jesus coming into his life. He may have gotten the storybook wedding. He may have had a peaceful, steady, calm life. He may have had everything that he hoped for, but you know what he would have missed out on? He would have missed out on Jesus. You know what happens when we choose the easy way out? You know, we, we can choose to not forgive. We can choose to not sacrifice. We can choose to not get uncomfortable. We, we, we can choose to make life all about us. But what happens is that we miss out on Jesus. And we miss out on the plan he has for our lives. Joseph and his life, I think it tells you that it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. The pain, the shame, and the shattered dreams and all of the inconvenience, it's worth it. Because what you gain through relationship with God is so much better than anything that he may ever ask you to give up. He's worth it. So I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to end uh, in some worship. So Jesus, thank you that you're worth it. Thank you that you paid it all so that we could know you. I thank you, Jesus, that you came and you dwelt among sinners like us. God, you didn't point the way to salvation. You are salvation. And Lord, all we have to do is put our faith and our trust and our allegiance in you. And our lives can be radically transformed and restored. So Lord, I, I pray for anyone here, Lord, that may have felt uh, burdened or distant from you or uh, just feeling like they're in a rough season. God, I, I pray that you would remind their heart that Christmas proves that you are for us that you are committed to us, that you see us, and that you know us, Jesus, and that will never change. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us all a worshiping heart this season as we wrap gifts and, and hang out with family. May we remember the beauty of who you are, the God we serve, God with us. You're so awesome, Jesus. We love you, and we praise you, and we uh, pray that you would just be with us for the rest of the service and the rest of this day. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.